Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Man, I, I love this church. Some of you don't know this, but uh, I've, been, uh, I've been at this church since I was born. I've been part of this family since I was born. And uh, I look out and there are so many people around here um, that have just been such an, uh, an amazing part of my life. I'm closer to people here than I am some of my own blood relatives. Um, and I think that's okay. I think that's the way God made it to be. And, and we're talking um, this, this series about who we are and what we do. Um, we're trying to paint a very clear picture of what we feel the Lord has been telling us, the leadership of the church, of what we're supposed to be as a church, how we define that, what our identity is, and what we're supposed to do. It's nothing new. It's been in scripture for thousands of years. But we just want to make sure uh, that we're understanding all together exactly what God is calling us to do and to be. Um, after this, I have, I have a very short amount of time to get through this stuff. So I'm going to go for it. Is that okay with you guys? Um, we're going to have a question and response time after this, okay? So make sure you click that Slido thing and, and vote for, for questions and stuff like that. But I'm going to jump right into it. Quick facts. The main description used in the New Testament for Jesus' church is family by a long shot. There's 237 instances where the word brother or sister or plural is used in reference to the church, not blood brother and sister, but church brother and sister. That's not counting, that 237 is not counting God being mentioned as father, not counting the times where the church is directly called a family. 237 times in the New Testament alone, did I say scripture? In the New Testament alone, are we called brothers and sisters? Kingdom is another big word for the church, but that's only 120. The body of Christ, which we tend to call it, which is a wonderful term, is only 12. 237 times we are called brothers and sisters. The apostles who wrote the New Testament were convinced that the church is a family. Not a family in the exact way we define it this day and age, but in the structure and values of the first century Mediterranean world. That's the world they were in. And so when they talked about family, that's what they were talking about. There's something about family in their time worthy of calling Jesus's church family. Now, just to be clear, we're not interested at all in chasing first century Mediterranean culture to, be, to become first century Mediterraneans. We are not. That is not what we are. We are 21st century Americans and immigrants and whatever else we are sitting in this room. That's what we are. We're not gonna try to become you know, something from a long time ago. But what we do want to do, that would be missing the mark, wouldn't it? Be, be chasing a culture, another fallen, broken, sinful culture, right? We're not chasing that culture. Rather, we want to capture Jesus's vision for his church by understanding how he and his apostles understood family. They called us family. So how did they understand what a family was? 
We want to distill the essential design and values of Jesus' church and be willing to live counterculturally where his way conflicts with ours. So let's dive into the very first picture we see of the disciples of Jesus living as family. And I'm going to add in some commentary, if that's okay, as we read Acts 2, 42 through 47. It'll be on the screens for you. And they, the disciples, all of Jesus, all those who believed in Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, not to their own individual self-actualization or definition of truth, the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, not to the total freedom that comes in isolation, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, not to an institution with a board of directors, but a family at a table with their father. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. This was not forced generosity. It was a natural outflow of the Spirit's leading 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, their identity as a people existed no matter where they were. Temple homes, they were a people, they were a family, and no matter how many of them there were. The institution didn't make them a people. Their common commitment to Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in them made them a family. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's the reality. All cultures have characteristics that both enhance and oppose the way of Jesus, don't they? Or maybe most cultures. All cultures oppose the way of Jesus. And probably most cultures have things that could enhance the way of Jesus. There has never been a culture in history, in the history of this world, that the way of Jesus doesn't somehow swim upstream and, and live cross-culturally. Counterculturally, rather contrasting it in some meaningful way. It's really hard to see our own culture for what it is. It's hard to see the distinctives of our own culture because we just call it normal, right? It's like trying to describe water to a fish. You're like, you're, you live in water. He's like, I just live in normal. Take him out and he's like, what have you done? To describe our culture to us, I'll just say things and you're gonna say, well, that's just normal. For us it is not necessarily across the world, and not necessarily normal for the kingdom and family of God. Every Christian everywhere at every time has been called to live counterculture in some way, shape, or form. So today, my hope is that we would be able to see the cultural water we live in and that we call normal and begin our upstream journey. And there's three specific issues I want to highlight to you. I want to expand on the first one and touch briefly on the final two because I think they flow out of the first one. So here's the journey before us for us to live as family. We must go from individual to inseparability. Individual to inseparability. I am not diminishing the importance of each individual, nor am I diminishing the agency of each individual. We each have decisions to make. We each have needs. We each have responsibilities as individuals. But there's a difference between loving and living as individuals and living individualistically with those individualistic values driving us. You see, most cultures throughout history were what we would call a strong group culture. The basic unity unit of their society was the tribe, the group, or the family, not the individual. The individual was a subpart of the basic unit, which was a family or a tribe or a group. 
individuals would find their identity and purpose and how they belonged and to contribute to that societal group that they're a part of, rather than just in themselves and their own self-actualization, their own desires. They would find it within the group. Does that sound strange and foreign to you? It does a little bit to me, to just be honest. Now, American culture has always been a little bit more individualistic, but somewhere in the 1970s, and I don't have time to get into all of it, sociologists and theologians alike saw a major shift in reaction to kind of some of the great society things that were happening before then where there's a lot of focus on social, the social development. Uh, government and ec economies and institutionally, institutions increasingly focused on individuals rather than communities. There was a high value on comfort, convenience, and the smoothness of life. Highly focused on the individual's ability to control and optimize their own life experience. That's the water we swim in. Almost all of the apps on your phone are about optimizing your life. I guarantee it. Doing something for you that gets you that close, much closer to having an optimized life. In short, this philosophy we just swim in and live in changes the basic unit of society from the group to the individual, where now I'm the center of my world. And certainly we can point out both strengths and weaknesses to this kind of philosophy from a political or economic standpoint. Mike, that is not at all what I want to talk about today. My aim is to show whether good or bad, politically or economically, that this way of thinking individualistically, that driving us, has a profound effect on the church and it's mostly negative. And that there is another better way for us to live in the church. We can't change our society and necessarily how it's going to go and flow. We can have influence, we can't necessarily change it, but we can decide how we're going to live together as a family, as a church. You see, in an individualistic culture, my time is mine, my decisions are mine, and my money is mine. My life is my own. Our moral compasses lean towards optimizing our own lives and interests, even at the cost of others. We know this is true. We've all made decisions that way. This is why more and more parents say to their kids, I just want them to be happy, rather than I just want them to have the character to be a positive contributor to our community or to grow up honoring Jesus and loving those around them. No, I just want them to be happy. Why? Because self-actualization is the most important. This is the reason why people leave their group or their church or even their own family when they experience pain or discomfort because it's, quote, not working for me anymore. And we tend to make that decision with very little thought to the responsibility we have or the impact we have on those we leave. People even leave their own flesh and blood families because I'm not happy. Self-actualization and self-satisfaction over love and self-sacrifice. It's the reason why service and volunteerism in churches across the world are struggling hard because I don't see how it benefits me. It's the reason we don't have enough people to make sure that our Crosspoint kids run smoothly as it absolutely can every, every week because it doesn't work for me. And I think it might be a contributing factor for why there is so much anxiety and depression in our culture. Not the only factor, but a contributing factor. Because how can a world with eight billion people in it be set up to perfectly be optimized for one person, me. 
We expect it. We expect optimization of our lives. But when the world doesn't deliver it, what is that? Disappointment and resentment. We feel that we're owed it. So here's the most important point. Individualism, though having some benefits in broader society, is antithetical to the way of Jesus in the church. We are a family, whether we like it or not, Ephesians 2, 19. We do belong to each other, Romans 12, 3 through 5. We are called to lay down our lives for one another, even if there is no benefit to our individual interests, John 15, 13, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If we are to embrace the way of Jesus as his church, we must reject the ethic of, the, of individualism that places me at the center of my world. And we must learn how to truly live as family in the way the Holy Spirit envisioned it through the writing of the apostles. This has impact, not just on our own experience of the church, but also on those God is calling into his church who haven't trusted him yet. If we want to bring more people into the family of God through faith in Jesus, we must be in deep relationship with the family of God. Because when we make disciples, what are we inviting them into? An individualistic, go-it-alone, new life of isolation with just me and God, is that what we're inviting people into? No. Or when they trust Jesus, will they be brought into an already established family of people who will care for them, disciple them, be with them, and equip them for the mission they are called to do? Those are big questions. The second part of our journey needs to be this, from isolation to belonging. Our high cultural value on individualism addicts us to comfort, convenience, and control. Comfort, convenience, and control so that we can optimize our own individual lives to be comfortable and convenient. We control things. Because the more connected I am to others, the less control I have over myself. The more I have to adjust, the more I have to give. If I am connected deeply with you as my brothers and sisters, there's a certain amount of control and convenience and comfort I have to give up. Because we all know relationships don't work on comfort, convenience, and control. They work on love and sacrifice. And so we tend to keep each other as Christians sometimes at an arm's distance without even meaning to. Because if I let you get too involved in my life, I lose control. And there goes my comfort. There goes my convenience. There goes my optimized life. I also think that we isolate for fear of being hurt. I don't have a ton of time to go into that, but I do think many people isolate because they've been hurt in the context of God's family. That's a whole other issue. No matter the reason for our isolation, I have a deep conviction that the Holy Spirit through scripture has given us a different way to be. The amount of togetherness and nearness that we see in Acts 2, Ephesians 2, Philippians 2, James 2, 1 Peter 3, 1 Thessalonians 5, Hebrews 10, et cetera, et cetera. We just simply cannot reconcile discipleship with isolation. They are incompatible. We are called to belong and to belong deeply. And the last point I want to share with you is this. Our journey needs to be from, from institution to family. From organization to family. I doubt that anyone in here views the church just as an institution or even mainly as an institution. But I think most of us view the church in, in at least some aspects as an institution in ways that it is not. How do you interact with the church? How do you personally interact with the church? How does your family interact with the church? 
Is it a place you pop in and out of as your need arises to have services rendered? Is it a social setting for you? That's good. Where there are people that you like, and if you, there's less people you like, you're not around anymore? That's bad. Is it a place to just fulfill your obligations? So is it like a restaurant where I go to have some be served and, and get things done for me? And then I go, is it like a social group? Is it like the DMV? I've got obligations. Got to fill out the paperwork. Got to stand in line. Got to go do the thing. It's the right thing to do. So I go there and I get out as quickly as I possibly humanly can because it's the DMV. Or do you view church as the family of people that defines who you are and deserves your highest loyalties, not the institution, not the buildings, not the organization, not the staff as decision makers, but as fellow disciples of Jesus, people who you love and you would give your life for. Joseph Hellerman, in his book, When Church Was a Family, and I would encourage all of you to read this book, he writes this. Jesus and his followers did not define loyalty to God solely in terms of a low group, individualistic, personal relationship with Jesus. Nor, by the way, did they define it as loyalty to the church as an institutional organization. For the early Christians, loyalty to God found its tangible daily expression in the unswerving loyalty to God's group, the family of surrogate siblings who called him father. That's what the church is. Again, I would encourage all of you to read that book by Joseph Hellerman. And this is not about just sacrificing. This is not about just changing what we do. It's about the joy set before us because when we are set in a family, there is so much joy. Amen? I want you to invite up right on the nose, 18 minutes exactly. I am so proud of myself. Woo! Would you guys invite up? I want to invite up my, my friends here to come on up and uh, Sarah and Matt, um, come on up and we're going to have a little conversation. Oh, can we put the Slido thing up there so people can continue to ask questions? Awesome. Oh, yeah, thank you. All right. All right. Um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to say, uh, before we get into this, um, I got a text. I don't know if you guys get these texts that just have a number that you don't know, and it says, hey. Anybody get those? Yeah. Well, I usually am not a Christian about those texts. But this morning during worship, I got one. And so this is what I said. They said, hey. I said, hey, can't talk now. I'm about to share from the word of God about Jesus. Maybe later we can get coffee and talk about how much Jesus loves you. <laughs> the joke's on them. I don't even like coffee. <laughs> anyway, um, I did that because of the family thing. Um, but anyway, so uh, this morning, um, if you do have question for clarification or an application type thing, um, you can kind of ask that question right now, um, and we'll kind of try, we'll, we'll want to, we'll like look to answer those questions or give some more um, context to those questions, but also um, we want to just kind of further unpack, again, even practically, and, and as we said, as we started this series last week, we want to give some practices so it's not just who we are as family, but what we do as family. And so, um, you know Travis, you know me, and I would like Sarah to introduce herself and just give us a little bit about you because she's joined us and it's, I'm super excited about it. Thank you. Okay, my name is Sarah Cook and I have been attending here at Cross Point 
close to five years now, um, when my husband and I got engaged, we um, realized at the church we were at, we knew people, and it just, it was more of a surface kind of knowing people. That was kind of both of our experiences. We'd both grown up in church our whole life, but attending church was kind of like, you go to church, you listen to the message, and then you leave. So when we got engaged, we were like, man, we don't really know any other married Christian couples that are our age or our stage of life or even older than us that we could learn from. And then um, Trevor's coworker, Christy, said, oh, I go to Crosspoint. There's a really awesome group there. You guys should come. And so we just were like, okay, we checked it out. And then right away, we were like, had people to sit with during the service and people asked us out to lunch and it was really awesome to feel like wow we're a part of a community people are interested in doing life with us and so in that life together group we really had um, established this sense of community and um, yeah I've just been feeling challenged how do we bring other more people into that but I realized you asked me to introduce myself and I kind of I kind of just went into a spiel related to the topic <laughs> that, works. that works that works okay yeah. awesome. awesome thank you um so uh, so we do have some questions coming in um and we want to kind of touch on those and so um the first question is uh what do you say to someone who is living in isolation to help them to start living out of a sense of belonging? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, someone who's currently living and experienced kind of isolation, um, and it sounds like, you know, again, maybe, maybe the question is, maybe some ways to break out of that and start living into a sense of belonging. So, um, yeah, Travis. I, that's a great question, and I think, because this is where the rubber meets the road, right? Um, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, m many times, if it's someone you know and you care about, you can end their isolation immediately by going and being with them. You can start small, meet for coffee, you know, just text them, hey, and, uh, and okay, <laughs> you want to go. <laughs> Matt just ended someone's isolation over text. It's that easy, you guys. I, I, I do say, I would say like that just... We tend to think about ending their isolation by like, hey, come to church with me. Or, um, that's great. Wonderful. Do that. But it doesn't have to be here, first of all. Um, go have coffee. Ask them if they want to read a book together. There's whatever common interest you have. It's building that relationship and bringing the people you're connected with along for that so that they're connected more than just to you. That's the first thing that came to my mind. But I think rather than thinking like, is there a program or a strategy, it's just end their isolation by if they're willing, go be with them. If they're not willing, you can't fix it. You gotta know where your uh, responsibility begins and ends and where theirs begins. You know, I just wanna point out, and I, again, I think this is a great question, but I think this question betrays our, our perspective and, our, and even what, we've, what we don't even realize how we think. Because the question is the asked the question asked it says how how do we help some how, what do we say to someone to help them find a sense of belonging? We live in a culture of information is success. Bringing someone from isolation to belonging is not to give them information; 
it's to give them companionship. And so if, if I'm in for helping someone understand how to move from isolation to belonging, and I'm not there to walk with them, there's something missing. And I think a lot of ways, like what Travis just talked about with how sometimes we see church, um, it, it's similar in the sense of we see, well, you know, how do we be successful at church? Well, it means our presence. It means us walking together. I think, Sarah, you had mentioned that, you know, growing up in church, you, you were kind of the go and then leave. And so, um, and for you, what you just shared, it's that um, you actually stepped in and kind of took a risk. And, and I don't know, I, let me ask, just ask this. Was there at any point in stepping in and coming to, like, to Crosspoint hearing, well, you know, there's a group you can be a part of. Was there any fear or, or a, I don't know, anxiety or any tension of what if this, what if people don't accept me or what if we're not welcomed? Was there anything like that that you had to overcome? I think what was helpful was that we were invited and there was this information like, this is a really welcoming group. Our friend Christy, she, her and her husband, they moved from Oklahoma. So they moved here, tried out different churches, and then they liked this one because they found a group that they felt like they could really get to know people. So I think kind of hearing like, wow, they moved here from Oklahoma, and they're more integrated into a community than I've ever been, and I've lived here my whole life, that, that did kind of give like a sense of comfort. But I have felt like throughout college and different times in my life, if I wanted a Christian community, I had to like put myself out there and you know, pump myself up and be like, okay, I'm going to be friendly. I'm going to do this. And it feels like scary because I think of that culture of, that we live in where typically people aren't super inviting. You feel like you kind of have to impress them or, you know, sell yourself. So I think like, I've felt like that growing up, going to a church, like, all right, hope they like me (laughs) rather than feeling a sense of I come in and there's a sense of belonging. Yeah, that's good. Um, Another question that's asked, uh, realistically, we can't be close with everyone we encounter. True. How do we balance that while not burning ourselves out? Quit your job. (laughs) Spend all week. No, uh, um, again, a great question because you're right. You look around a room like this, there's no way we could have deep relationships with every single person in this room, none of us, even if we all did quit our jobs, we, we wouldn't be able to. Even if we spent all our time doing that, um, we, we wouldn't be able to. I think part of this for us is our conception of what church is. We think of a big building where a lot of people come in together, sit facing the way you're facing right now, people talk, people sing, and then you leave. Um, the earlier conception of the church, I guess, when it first started was people oftentimes meeting in homes. And that was this immediate family for them of believers, not just people blood related, but immediate uh, family of other believers who have the same Holy Spirit living in them. Mm -hmm. If this is your only experience of the church, you're starving you're starving for the kind of family that Jesus wants you to be in. We all have, most of us have immediate families and extended families. Right now, you're sitting in an extended family reunion. 
Every Sunday we have an extended family reunion. But if that's all you have, you're going to be lonely. You're not going to have the kind of people in your life that can build you up and you can build them up. If you're not in a smaller group, whether that's a home group, a small group, a Bible study, a just start something in your home where you're with other believers, you're going to be alone. And that's not the way Jesus intended us to live our lives. Did I answer the question? I, I mean, I, I, th- I think, I think, I think, I just, I'm thinking, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Matt thinks. I think. Um, therefore, I think someone said I am. Um, yeah, and, and I think that one of the things that I've said to a few people, and I've only offended a few, and I don't mean it offensive, but I've, I've said to a few people around me, I've said in kind of passing that you are some of my favorite people that I will never get to spend time with. Um, and and that, that is my way of saying that, like, I would, there are a lot of people who I'd love to, like, really, like, do life with, but I also realize that, that because of their schedule, their life, my life, the fact that we don't intersect a lot, that's probably never going to happen unless we made certain sacrifices and made some really intentional decisions. So that's possible, but, but I think it's not that there's not a desire to have a lot of relationships, especially within the church and people that we see and say, man, I'd love to be closer to that person. But I think what it comes down to is that there are limits, and we don't want to burn ourselves out by never saying no, never having boundaries, never having, never having rest and margin. However, here's what I would say. I think in a lot of ways, at least for me, my wiring, because I do like to go home and be alone, I, we can open up our home to a group of people who... Even, even almost random people um, within our church. And just to say to maybe a group of people, hey, I'm inviting a couple people over. Feel free to invite anybody you want. And let's just be together. And, that, and, that, and that's this moment, this window. God can use relationships in a moment. He can use relationships over the course of our lives. And even sometimes those moment meetings can have fruit that lasts a lifetime because of how Jesus works in it. Uh, Sarah, you, one of the reasons I reached out to you is because you had, you had uh, texted some friends um, after last week's service on kind of a, a growing conviction that you had and um, kind of the, 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 like the execution of it. Could you just kind of share that, that from, from last week? Yes. Okay, last week there was a really cool image on the screen It had um, a ladder, and it said the world showed a ladder, and then it said climb. And then there was another image that said Jesus had a table, and it said come. And it was an illustration that in the world we feel this sense of we have to level up or achieve or, you know, reach a standard. But when it comes to Jesus, we're invited um, into what he's doing into the family, into the mission. It's not about levels or achieving or a hierarchy. And I felt really moved by that picture of a table. And thinking about my relationship with Jesus is he wants me to sit at a table with him and the intimacy and the fellowship of that. 
And it caused me to think about the community I shared about that I found here in the Life Together group. Um, it's great that like I fit into a demographic where there's a group of other people my same age that are married and we get to connect, but um, I know that it can be really difficult to find community. And so, um, you know, it's been great for me and my husband to spend time with these couples where we're aligned in faith and stage of life. But I felt this conviction of, well, there's people that want to find that community and have yet to find that and do feel isolated. And so um, I texted a group of my girlfriends from the Life Together group and I said, hey, I want to invite you guys over just to kind of have a potluck, have a meal in my backyard. And my goal for this is let's create a really welcoming space where we could also invite friends or people that we know um, maybe are in a little bit of a different stage of life or don't have community and ultimately this would be a great place to bring people into that don't know the Lord because everybody longs to feel connected. I think we can have barriers to connection if we have been hurt and being vulnerable is scary, but um, I feel like my life has been so enriched through community and I know that's what Jesus created us for. So that was my whole action step. And um, I live in Turlock. And so I just kind of also wanted to like open it up. If you're feeling like, man, I want to like, I like resonate with what you said and I feel isolated and I want community. I just want to let you know you're invited. So if you could find me after and be a part of our little group. <laughs> I want to draw something out that she said. I also live in Turlock and you're very welcome to go to her house. Um, <laughs> Come to mind too. Uh, no, that, that's. I want to draw something out that you said that I thought was really super important. Um, we tend to connect with people uh, who are like us, or like even our own immediate family, who we tend to maybe think a lot more alike and things like that. We can say, well, my 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 group, my uh, how I don't stay isolated is my immediate like actual blood family, and that's good. You should have amazing relationships. There is what we want. Um, to, I want for my life. We all want. Um, but if we only are ever with people who are like us or just in our same life stage or those types of things, we'll never grow. I need people who are 30 years older than me. I need people who are 30 years younger than me. I need people who are my same age. I need people not in my same blood immediate family because we tend to think in the same neighborhood of thoughts and I'll never change. I'll never be, you know, brought out of that kind of echo chamber that I can live in if I don't engage with other people. So what you said about wanting to have a space where other people, invite other people, they don't have to be the same age or stage, I think that's brilliant. And I think it also does something else. It's not surprising to the world when people who are alike, like each other and have community together. It's very surprising to the world when people who are completely unalike and you're like, why are they even together and why are they loving each other but they are and they're loving each other? That's the power of the gospel. That God could unite people who have no reason to be uniting. That's, that is the power of the gospel. 
Not that we're all the same. It's that we're all so very different and yet unified and love each other. That's where we see the power of the gospel living house. I just think that's brilliant. That's, that's really cool. And I just think it's awesome. Not only are you sharing that, but just opening up that invitation. That's really, really cool. Um, I, this next question, it, I feel like there's some repentance that needs to happen. This next question is, is how do we handle rejection or shunning by our family or the body, the family of God, when we have a life issue, say a child that goes sideways? The fact that that's a question in the family of God and that that's a real thing. Um, th- there's a part of me that wants to ask, and I won't, so don't do anything, but I want to ask how many people in here have felt rejection from the family of God because of something that's happened in your family? No, nope, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> um, maybe something that's happened in your family or something that like maybe your kids or a family member has done and there's a, and there's a rejection there. I, I would guess that probably more than we'd like to admit, hands would go up in here. Um, and oftentimes it's couched in, well, there's sin and so we need to, you know, kick that out. And I, and I think just to kind of hit this question, um, one, I think as a church, maybe there's repentance in order to say that should never be. That should never be. Um, to take an example, um, a really current practical example. Um, let's say a family. Let's say a mom and dad and part of a church and they're their daughter comes out as same-sex attracted. What do we do as a church family about that? I would guess if we were to respond the way Jesus responds, we would probably love that family harder and deeper and make sure that not only the parents, but the daughter knows that Jesus does not love them any less because there's a struggle going on. Um, Yet the Bible says things. There is a biblical traditional sexual ethic that the Bible is very clear about. But the Bible is also very clear that we are all broken people. And that God loved us while we were enemies with him. And we're not enemies with each other. And so I guess I would just say um, that if, if you are here today or you're listening and you're struggling because there is, are things you feel like you can't share in this family, One, I want to say I'm so sorry that you may feel that. 
And two, I know so many people at this church who are a safe place to be loved by and to be encouraged and will not be afraid of whatever the issues are in your family. Um, and I, I don't know, that just, that just... When my wife or one of my daughters is in trouble or hurt or injured, I don't run away from them. Run to them. That is how God wants us to see each other. When when you're hurting or you have a need, and I know about it, I should pray and say, God, what what, what do you want me to do? Because it's probably not nothing. Someone I know Someone I love can't pay rent. If I've got money in the bank, I pony up. I love them. I take care of their need. It's what I do for one of my kids. That's, that's what this is supposed to be. And I hope, I hope that resonates in your soul. And if you've experienced the opposite of that, I want to say it too. So sorry. Please forgive. I think that really does give us a picture of what God's vision of the church is. It's not a bunch of together or perfect people. It's a group of people who are united by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and what he's done. Um, And part of living into that is recognizing that there will be disruption and our lives will not be optimized. (laughs) Travis said earlier that um, all the apps on our phones are all to optimize our life I feel like someone should make, make an app called Disrupt My Life. And like the options are like, get married or have kids or actually walk with someone that doesn't agree with everything you said. There, there is an app, it's um, called Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I have so many things to say about that. But um, so, so, those are some great questions, um, but we, we want to honor the time. And here's, here's what we want to do. I want to share three, three practices, um, three practices that we would say go along with this value of church's family, family, forever family. Um, and the first one is something that you've heard all the time. You hear all the time. It's nothing new. It's being community, being a group, whether, whether it's a, a group here on Sunday morning that, that 
actually also is not enough because if your group is just something you meet because it's formal and organized once a week, that's not going to give, that's not what families do. But that's a start as is like a home group and, and, and getting into a home group and meeting with people in their homes, breaking bread together, sharing life together. I don't even know that home groups, it's most important to go through maybe questions from the sermon or even a Bible study. I think it's supporting each other and walking through life together as disciples and Jesus followers. Teaching each other yeah. mutually how to obey the commands of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the ways we care for each other yeah. is we sit together and we say, this is what I'm walking through. How do I follow Jesus through this? And the other people not only tell us things, but yeah. really show us and help us walk yeah. through those things together. So a do is get involved in a group. Um, and it doesn't even have to be through the church. If it's just a group of people that you're like, you know, we want to walk life together and we want to spur each other on to the mission God has us on to make disciples of all people, then, then go for it. But you can, if you're not sure where to go, contact the church. Second thing is exactly what Sarah just shared. Just open up your table. Open up your home. Just, just with a group of people, maybe, maybe it's even today after the service, you're walking and you see somebody who you see every week, you recognize them, but you've never talked to them. Go and say, hey, do you want to go to lunch today? Let's have a meal together and let's get to know each other and see what God does with that. Open up your home. We, most of us have homes and most of us probably don't open up our homes as much as we probably could. Um, third thing is this, and this is a thing that you're going to have to decide to do personally because it's something that, that we have to make a personal conviction and stance on, and that is this. We live in a consuming environment, in a consumer environment, and everything is about what we get, and it goes along with the individualism that Travis talked about, and that leads to isolationism and all of that. But here's the thing. We've ha- we have to move from consuming and saying, hey, I'm going to go to church for this reason so that I can this. Go from consuming to contending. And what I mean by that is this. We have got to contend for each other for the unity that Jesus calls us towards. And so when I run into something that I don't like, something that I want to consume, that I'm kind of like, well, that doesn't work with me, and I want to move from this place to this place, that I need to make a decision that, God, I am going to contend for the family of God and for our relationships and for one another, and I'm going to contend for that. I'm not going to just make a decision to say, well, this was uncomfortable, so I'm out. Or this is uncomfortable, so I'm just not going to be around that person anymore. God calls us to contend for each other. And that's a decision we're going to have to make. Unity in Christ is not easy. It's something we have to contend for. We're going to close out the service here, but um, one thing I want to just say to that is that there may be some of you in this room and the way your life is right now, I, I mean, I don't know why this comes to mind, but I think about a single mom working, you know, two jobs and all she can do is work her jobs, take care of her kids, get them fed and just fall down exhausted in bed. And it's like, you're asking me to do more. I can't do that. Please don't hear do, climb. Please, please don't hear that. 
There are times in life where all we can do is express our need, express our inability to the body, to someone you know and trust. And what if God were able to bring help to you? Maybe you don't need to work two jobs anymore, not because you're saying, no, I do because I, I can't afford it, but you have a family. What if we helped you not work two jobs? You're like, Travis, that's stepping over some boundaries. I know. I know. These are boundaries we got to step over. Because if that person needs to be in community and can't because they're just so darn busy, what if we, who have a little extra time and money, came around and said, you don't need to work that second job anymore? Can you imagine a church full of people who did that for each other? What a beautiful thing. So if that's where you're at, please don't hear do more. I'd say communicate more. Tell us. Let us know where you're at. And maybe there's a way for us to help each other. Um, We want to end the service now. If you need some prayer, we want to encourage you to come forward. We're going to have our prayer team come forward right now. I'm going to pray, and then you're going to be dismissed. But um, let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. And you're so good to us. Thank you for this conversation. Or thank you for Sarah and what she's doing. Thank you for Matt, what he shared. And I just pray your blessing um, of wisdom and obedience in this church that we would become more and more like Jesus is. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Everyone said. Hi, Matt. Hi, Sarah. Well, um, it's funny, during first service, um, I got one of those texts that maybe many of us get that isn't anyone you know, but it says like, hey, and it's from a number you don't know. Um, I got that during the first service, and normally I lose my salvation when I respond to those, but because I was here and I was in a good state of mind, I, I texted back and I said, hey, can't talk now, I'm about to share from the word of God about Jesus, maybe later we can get coffee and talk about how much Jesus loves you. The joke's on them. I don't like coffee. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so we're going we're gonna to walk through uh, questions that you guys have asked, um, and we want to do our best to kind of answer them and, and kind of walk. But this is an ongoing, uh, I think, unpacking conversation. And you guys know Travis and myself, and I want to introduce you to Sarah, and I'm going to have Sarah introduce herself because she's joined us, and we're super excited that she's up here. Thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Sarah Cook. Um, I grew up in Modesto, but recently, almost a year ago, I moved to Turlock. So now I'm a Turlock resident, me and my husband, Trevor. Um, I'm a high school health teacher at Turlock High. And Trevor and I have been attending Crosspoint for close to four and a half years now. And we have been so blessed by um, the Life Together community that we attend during the first service. And... um, Both of us grew up in the church, but a lot of our experience was like going to church, you listen to the message, you leave, or, you know, maybe there was some volunteering in the mix, but not really deeply being connected to community like a family. That was like a foreign idea. But here we have been so blessed to really feel like the friendships and the connections we've made feel like family, like we truly are integrated and connected with a really special group of people. So we've both been really blessed by that. Thank you. Um, you know, there, there's, as we get to the questions, um, 
we'll just kind of start off. Uh, the first question um, is how how does an outsider to the cross point community break through existing cliques? It seems that if, if I didn't grow up in this church, I am always on the outside looking in. Um, Travis, you were born here. I was. I, Actually, in this room, it was. I it was. was <laughs> not really. Was it on a Christmas Sunday morning? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I was not, but Travis, do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, yeah. But I don't know how to say it. Um, I don't. Okay. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, it no really is. Pulled. Yeah, I, my here's my thing. I think that the main responsibility for fixing that is not on the person trying to break in, but the people who are already here. I think um, we have to open our eyes and see each other. We have to not just keep walking by each other. And I've seen that face forever. We've got to in our groups, whether that's our home groups or our peer groups or here in this room, we've got to really see people and invite them in for a conversation. And it's, it's a culture change because being an outsider breaking in, there's only so much of that that you can tolerate before you give up and just feel like I'm not wanted. Now there is responsibility on that person's, you know, if you're just like, well, no one knows me and I don't know anyone. Well, have you tried? I think it was something I would ask, you know, and, and I'm assuming with that question, the answer is, yeah, I have tried over and over and over. It's just hard. Um, the fix to that isn't a quick fix and it isn't an, it, it isn't an easy fix because it means us changing our culture that the comfort of the people I know that I open that out and it's facing outward, being with each other, but also facing outward and inviting others in. I don't know, I don't know how to give a three-step, you know, answer to that. It's a heart thing for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sarah, um, one of the... I guess one of the reasons I was so excited for you to be up here is um, last week um, after the service, you were texting some friends and you had a, you were, God was kind of working on you in this prior to last week, but one of the applications, the, the, the pieces that you chose to kind of go forward with, um, just share that, because I think that does have something to do with this in, in the opening up, inviting people in, and asking people to draw other people in. So if you could just share that, that'd be awesome. Yes. Um, something I've been thinking about is um, my husband Trevor and I were a part of this really awesome Life Together community that meets during the first service, but the demographic is like young married couples. And so like it's been really transformative to have built all of these relationships with other couples in our same life stage where we've really connected. But I've been feeling like you know, that's great. There's a group that really fits my specific demographic, but there's a lot of individuals that might not feel like there's a place for them or it's that easy to get connected. And um, last week during the message is talking about we are a family. Family isn't limited to people that are like you or even your age or your um, life stage. And so I was feeling this sense of like, wow, I have an awesome community and I'm so thankful, but there are many people, and I think God like wired us that way. We're 
built to be in community and have family, but that's not, especially in our culture, not easy to come by. And so after the service last Sunday, I texted a group of girlfriends from the Life Together group, and I said, hey, I want to have a gathering like we typically do at my house, because we'll do, you know, get-togethers and fun things, but I really want to be intentional to make this a welcoming space where we can bring other people into the group. Like maybe if you have a friend that doesn't really have a community or someone on your heart or even someone that doesn't know Jesus that you want them to meet Jesus, like let's just create a welcoming space where we can bring people. And so um, we're gonna have like get together at my house this coming week. So my first step was just, you know, sending out that text message, but I do feel expectant and excited because community has enriched my life so much and it is so easy to walk in isolation. And um, I believe that there's only ways in which we can grow and know Jesus through others. And scripture says that we are one and that is a wild concept to think about. I am one with all of you, but I don't, you know, I kind of feel like in some ways you're all strangers, but Christ says that we're one. And so how can we challenge ourselves out of that comfort and convenience? Because that's where I like to live, um, to be the body of Christ that should look different than the world where we, you know, stay with our own. Yeah, and... Um I, I love I love that I love that just that action of following through with that because I think just again talking about something and even saying well here's some ways that that can change and giving someone information we are such a information success culture it's really probably we need to recalibrate and say actually if I act upon information that's success it's not just me having information and so I think part of that is is that I, I think. I would say as, you know, kind of coming here on staff and that kind of thing, um, yeah, I think that there are groups of people who've grown up together in this church and they have a lot of history and a lot of, a lot of con- deep connection with them and their families and all of that. And, and so I think part of it is, is recognizing that, that God does give us special things within community. And those things we, we, we don't need to reject or be ashamed of. But also we need to recognize that God always, God wants to bless us with, with people who will, who will come in and even make that a, a better place. And so I, I think what it comes down to is the idea of, uh, of Travis made the comment that, that all of our apps on our phones are to optimize our lives. I think we have to take a step back and maybe put some apps on our phones that are like, um, disrupt my life. And so, um, like, probably one of the keys on that app would be um, somebody who you see that doesn't seem to be engaging, maybe even here on a Sunday, or a group of people, or somebody that you've talked to that you've never talked to before, just say, let's go to lunch today, or invite a group of people over to your house. I think, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big thing. I mean, it's, it's significant to do those kinds of things. And so, yeah, I, I think that's a hard thing. It's a real thing but it's a thing that, that we need to be really intentional and take action and, and, and don't hesitate to invite someone over. Don't hesitate to, in fact, we were talking out in the, in the park between services and I won't say their name because then everyone will want this, but um, she said, um, you know, anybody with a pool, just invite me over and I'll bring the food. I was like, 
done. Um, you can come over to my house and you bring the food. I'm in. I, Sherry and I will talk about it, and this is happening for us. Uh, that was great. Um, but that's just, it's funny, but it's kind of creative and, and kind of fun. And so that kind of thing. Um, uh, let's see, another question is, um, what are some steps we can take to become more like family and not just church members? I have to answer this one first, too. No. You don't have to. <laughs> um, so much of this comes down to uh, what, you're, what control you're willing to let go of. Uh, I said earlier that um, we tend to keep each other at arm's distance because the more intertwined our lives get, like the messier it gets, the less control I have over my time. And if I want to do something and someone else is like, hey, should you be doing that? Then, I, you know, if I can keep people at an arm's distance, then I have complete control over my time. I think the first step in this is actually being so intimate with Jesus, so close to him, so daily in his presence, praying, worshiping him, hearing his voice and obeying the Holy Spirit, that it changes your heart for me as I have grown in my relationship with Jesus and the intimacy I have with him. It's amazing how my desire to be with other believers and encourage each other and live in community together, and I don't even like that word, in family together, has grown as well. And I can't explain it all. I just know that the more I love Jesus, the more I love you. And I think that's the place to start is if you're not in that place where you're loving Jesus intimately, you won't have the capacity in your heart to love his, his people. But then I think there's some real steps, just like opening your home, inviting people, just like, just, just do it. Just be with people. It doesn't have to be here. It can be at a coffee shop. It can be working out together. It can be a million different things. But just living, when you're gonna do something, you know, sometimes we need alone time. I need a lot of alone time. I'm a total introvert. I love people, though. But sometimes it's like when I'm going to do something, rather than doing it alone, you want to come do this with me. There are really simple steps we can take, but they can be monumental in the impact they have on our lives. I think one of the things, just to add to that, all of these things so far, the idea of kind of breaking through maybe um, all like pre, pre-developed social places and also that idea of um, becoming more like family, not just church members. All of this takes adjustment and a change of priorities on my part. And so for every one of us, if we can say we want this, but if we're not willing to change how we live and how the rhythms of our lives, it won't change because, because oftentimes, that maybe, maybe for many of us, the only time we see the people in this room is on a Sunday. We've got to make a different decision then sometime during the week. And it takes work, and it's hard. Um, do you have anything to add to that, Sarah? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, another thing I was thinking about is I think a lot of people can have reservations about... Um, getting to know new people or community. Like I have some family members that are like, I'm fine with just my family. I don't need to go meet some people at church. Like, we're good. And I think that it's uncomfortable to make, meet new people, but also there's a feeling of like, I have my stuff, I have my issues. 
if I get to know people, then they find out, you know, I'm struggling with this or, you know, these things happened in my life that weren't perfect. Like people aren't going to accept me. I think, I think when you feel in a place of like, when you feel more confident, it's easier to like meet new people. But if you're like, man, I'm not in a place where I feel great about myself. It's like, I don't want to let people get to know me and know what's going on. But I think the church is really supposed to be a place where when we're modeling being Christ-like, where you can, you should feel safe to be vulnerable and you can say, this is who I really am. This is what's really going on. And when you feel loved and accepted and cared for and supported and helped, that's what is so significant and enriching about community. If your community is superficial and you, you know, go out to eat and have a small talk or talk about sports and that's it, then you're not going to feel like that did a whole lot for you. You probably are fine at home on your couch in your comfort zone. But when we take a risk and find people that love Jesus, that we can connect with and, and express our true heart and vulnerability, and then we feel that sense of support, that's the family that we need in our life. And that is special and that is worth the investment. Yeah, it's really easy for us to focus on, well, this is the right thing to do and so we need to sacrifice to do it. And that's true, but it's really easy to lose focus on, but what do you stand to gain from this? There's nothing like being really known by people and still really loved by people and doing that for others. There's nothing in the world like having that kind of relationship with God and having that kind of relationship with the other. It is more fulfilling than whatever you're filling your time doing, not doing that. Um, is there sacrifice to it? Yes. Is there risk to it? Yeah. But there's so much joy that can come from living this way. So there's a question asked, I think a really candid question asked last hour that I, I think is really important to touch on this, this hour as well. And the question was something, I don't remember ex exactly how they worded it, but it was something to the effect of, um, what, what, do we, what do I do with rejection? Um, what do I do when I've been kind of, um, kind of shut out because something has happened in my family um, and either my family, maybe my family of origin, or even my church family, um, basically has rejected me or my family. And the example they use, they said, for example, like my child goes kind of off track. And I, and I think that is a really, really important question. And I think there's a, I think that there's a whole lot more under their example. And, I'm, and I kind of want to just call it out because I think this kind of posture that is characteristic within the church requires some repentance. Um, I can't help but think that maybe that question was asked in a, from a perspective of maybe some parents and maybe, maybe, and, I, and again, I don't know who asked it, but I'm just creating a scenario. Parents and their daughter in high school comes out and says that she's same-sex attracted. And that family doesn't want to talk about it at church with their church family because they're afraid of how the reaction will be. 
And it doesn't have to be that exact scenario. It can be other things. I mean, I, I've been in churches where there's mental illness in a family, and that family is not remotely cared for. And, and I would guess, and I'm not asking anyone to raise hands right now, but um, I would guess there's probably a lot of people in this room who have hidden things that have happened in their families because they don't know how church people are going to react to that. And here's the thing, the Bible, I believe the Bible has a very clear sexual ethic that God has designed. But the Bible also has a love ethic that we cannot deny. And I just wanna say right now, if you're here and you have, have either hidden something that's happened in your family that's messy, or you yourself, maybe you're the one who's been described as the messy one. I wanna say I'm sorry. And I wanna say that that does not coexist with the sacrifice that Jesus made and the love that he loves us with. And, and, so, and so I think that, that the church, the church family, when, there's, when there is a hard thing that we're walking through as an individual or a family or a couple or, or whatever that looks like, that our reaction to that is to surround and love and walk with. Because part of the nature of the church's family is not to carry those things by yourself. It's to carry them together. And I don't know that I even care what you may be struggling with or what you think or it, maybe it doesn't match up with something I've said I believe. I think Jesus is bigger than that. And I think Jesus wants me to help carry the load that you're carrying. And so I want to settle this right now <laughs> and say that if your family life or if your, your personal life is ugly, that's okay. Yeah, well, welcome to the family. When someone in my immediate family my wife, my six daughters, when one of them gets hurt or injured or has a need, I don't run away from them, I run to them. When my daughter May broke not one but two wrists different times, our instinct as family is to go towards to help, not to run to avoid the mess. And that's the way we have to be as a church. We are no let, this may sound like an extreme statement to you, you may not agree. I, I, I think I can biblically back this up. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are no less family than I am with my wife and my kids. We are unified, united whether we act like it or not. And when we are hurting, we run to each other, not neglect each other. At least that's the way it ought to be. And it won't ever be perfect. We're not ever, sometimes we don't even know when someone's going through something hard. But man, if you are say something and let this family care for you. Is it a risk? Sometimes we want to love you. We want to love you. I think a great follow-up question to that is, um, 
we keep using the word family, assuming that it's a positive thing for most of us, but what about when family is hard, when there's hurt or dysfunction? Um, that's a, it's great, I think that's a really good pause and question because, um, yeah, I, 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 would, I would actually probably argue that no family is, no family doesn't have dysfunction. And uh, it's funny, I don't want to, I don't embarrass anybody, but, um, but Allison was talking um, to um, Shane and Michaela, and I know, I'm sorry, um, but Shane and Michaela, who were here, they, they led worship with us um, on that, that in, I think it was in October, when we did a, a church-wide fast, and then we had a worship and prayer night, um, and it was great, because Allison was talking to Shane and Michaela, and um, and they were just sharing a lot of a lot of life things that were similar, and and so I had spent some time with Shane and Michaela, and and, and Michaela said to Allison, she said, "Man, how great with you know just what you're thinking about the the world and and the nations and 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 even what God's calling you to. How great to have a dad who's so on fire for Jesus." And Allison's response, without thinking, was, "Well, he hasn't always been this way." And <laughs> it was it was I love that so much because it's true. Um, <laughs> it is not a slight, it is not untrue. And she was like, and then she kind of was like, oh, I mean, he's, he's been great, but, but just he hasn't always been like this, what, you know, th that just goes somewhere with it. And, but I love that. I honestly love that so much because, because our family is far from perfect. And my kids and my wife have suffered from my dysfunction as we've suffered from each other's dysfunction. And so, yeah, family is hard. And I just want to recognize that. But, but the picture that, that God does give us in his word, he does say that he is a perfect father. Maybe not the father that you had, but he is the perfect father who does what is best, absolute best for your flourishing. And sometimes that's hard, but, but he is the perfect father. And we live in a church family that is messy, but we have to recognize that it's, it's not what you've been hurt. You probably have been hurt by the church family. But God's family, that is not how he wants it, and that's not how we live together. And so family, when we talk about family, use that word. If that triggers you, um, just recognize that we're all growing and working together. Yeah, I, for me, the word father or dad is, is not a positive word because I didn't have a positive experience twice. Okay, and so for me, I, I have had to, even calling God my father, calling him my dad has been work for me because I didn't, I don't associate good things with that. Some good things, not horrible, but like some good things, but I don't associate mainly good with that. And so that's a real issue. And if that's what you're going through, hey, say something about it and share that so that the people around you can care for you in that way. And then perhaps through this church family, God can redefine what family or father or brother or sister means to you because you prayerfully, oh God, please help us to give you a different experience of what that is. That's what came to mind for me too, that, um, yeah, I think it's very common that probably everyone has had experiences with dysfunctional relationships of all kinds, family, romantic relationships, friendships, and that can cause people to have that negative connotation with family or feel uncomfortable with the church being a family. But thinking about God as our perfect father or Jesus 
as the perfect bridegroom or as our brother. Um, God seeks to bring restoration and healing within us where our human relationships have been imperfect. And our human relationships, even when they are great, are to ultimately point to God and what he provides for us. And that, I believe, is what our community and our family in Christ is for, is to point us to the greater father, the greater bridegroom, the greater brother, because we are all broken and we need him to be whole for ourselves and to have a whole healthy functioning family in Christ as well. We have to be in relationship with him. Yeah. Um, we said we want to give some practices as we go through each week, and so practices associated with forever family. And so one, one that we want to share is something you, you've heard before, but it's the idea of, of, of being in a group with people. Um, that group doesn't have to be a group that is formally, uh, formally uh, created by the church. Um, it can be. It can be a group on Sunday. It can be uh, a home group. It can be a group of people that you get together with who love Jesus and want to spur one another on toward Jesus and becoming more like him and obeying him and looking like him. It can be anything like that. Um, and it can be around any kind of thing. And so um, that is so vitally important uh, that we do that. And that's a responsibility that, that we have to keep out in front of us and that every individual has to say, I'm entering into that community. I'm entering into something. And Can, and can I just go. say yeah. one thing about that? Some of you may be thinking, okay, so I need to join. And you said this already kind of, but I want to make it more like join a home group through the church. If you just know people, that love Jesus, you don't need anyone's permission to obey the commands of Jesus. If you just know people, you're like, I could start a group, do it. You don't need anyone's permission. You don't need to call the church and say, hey, can I do this? Jesus told you to. And if you want like support in that, like I'm gonna start a group, we're gonna be chasing Jesus together, and I want leadership and encouragement, then do let us know so we can reach out to you and resource you the way we can. But you don't need permission to do what God has asked you to do. Just do it. Yeah. The second thing is, um, like what Sarah was sharing, that she had this idea, it, open your home. Um, I, I, that's something that I, I know is, is something that is valuable and worthwhile. But I also like going home and being alone. But I don't get to just live in that space. Um, it's so, it's actually pretty easy. We, a lot of times we make opening up our home really complicated because we have to have, have, you know, decorations and we have to have food and we have to have all of these things to make sure everyone's happy. And, and you know what? It doesn't matter the size of your home, what your home seems like, what it feels like. Uh, it doesn't matter if you have things decorated or if you have food. Just invite people over. I mean, invite people to have sack lunches. Bring a sack lunch to my house. And we're going to sit around and we're going to eat. And, and, and doing that, not just with the people that you know best, but sometimes just people who, I don't even, I don't even know you, but I know you that you're, you know, you're part of our church family and you have connections with other people. So, so you know, even that kind of thing. So, so opening up, that's, that's something that I'd say is a practice that we could do 
that probably would, would have an incredible impact on, on what it feels like. And I think that answers a lot of questions that were asked as well. The third thing is this, and it's, I think it's a very personal thing that every single one of us is going to have to do. Because as Travis talked about individualism and, and being part of, the, part of the family, there are some things that we have to do that are completely up to us and only us. And I would say this, we live in a culture that's full of, of consumerism. And even, at, at, even within the church, we come and we decide things based on our consumeristic tendencies, whether or not we liked this or didn't like this or this is available or this is happening. And I think the biggest shift that we have to make that is a practice, but it's something everyone has to do, is go from being a consumer to being a contender. And I mean that we need to contend for each other and for the purity and for the, um, the environment of, of the family of God. And what I mean by that is, is that if, if I'm upset about something, I need to contend against that and say, you know what, I'm not going to just walk away. I'm not just going to say, I won't be around this person anymore, or I won't um, engage in that conversation. It's I need to contend for, for God's church, for the family of God. Don't, there's, we've gone through a cultural phenomenon called quiet quitting, where people have just left their, their occupation quietly. And it's also happened in churches all around the country. That's not characteristic of family. That's not contending. That's consuming. And so we need to contend for each other. We need to contend for each other when you, don't, you disagree with something I said or I disagree with something you're doing and that you're living. I, we need to contend for that. Fight for it. Not fight each other, but fight for each other, no matter how hard it is. And that's going to be a decision that every single person has to make. And it's hard. And I think that's the thing. So just to kind of share those practices, be part of a group. Open up your home and contend for one another. I think if we start to do that, we will see a change in how we experience Forever Family here at Crosspoint. We're going to wrap up the service now, but I just want to say one quick closing thing that it's, uh, it's really easy in times like this when we talk about what God is calling us to do. There are people in here, and I don't know why, I always uh, imagine like, a, probably, you know, I know why, because my mom was this, a single mom, uh, you know, working a long, hard job, or maybe even two jobs, and you're like, I just hear you saying, do more, do more. And if that's what you're hearing, I just want to take that off the table for you. That is not what we're saying. There are people here who are just worked to the bone, who have, it's like work all day, take care of the kids, put them to bed, and then just flop in bed exhausted, and you got nothing left. If that's where you are, do not let this be an occasion for guilt for you. But maybe express to those around you that you know that you trust where you're at and that you can't do more. Because maybe there's an answer to be found in community with that. If a mom is working two jobs to you know, feed her kids and she has to do that, what if the church came around that mom, the people who know her, not just the, not, not, not the church, but we, the church, who know that person came around them and said, maybe you don't need to work two jobs. Maybe we, to free up some of your time, need to help you financially so that you can have a life. What if we did that? What if we were that kind of people? I mean, that's the kind of people I want to 
be with. It's the kind of person I want to be. So maybe the answer isn't in staying isolated and just keep on keeping on. Maybe the answer is in saying, uncle, help. I need help because I cannot do the things that I want to do. I just wanted to put that out there. This is not about guilt or doing more. It's not about the ladder and climbing. It's about a table and saying, come. So with that, if you need some prayer, some encouragement, we just want you to come forward as the service ends. We want our prayer team to come on forward. If you just need to be encouraged, be loved on, share what you're going through, or are you rejoicing something, as we end the service here, would you come forward? We just want to care for you and take care of you. Uh, pray with me, would you? Father, we love you. Thank you for this family. Make us what we are. <laughs> Make us more of what we are, a family. Let us live that way. Let us erase some lines in between us. Let's engage each other more and more and more as we see the day of Jesus' return approaching. We want to be found ready. We want to be found loving each other. We want to be found inviting more sons and daughters of God into the family. We love you. We trust you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you soon. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.